Hey, welcome to Two Guys in Search of an Argument. My name is Peg Bennett. I'm one of the guest co-hosts, and I'm here, as always, with two of the hosts, Jim Gentili in Silver Spring, Marilyn and Jelly in Indianapolis, Crossroads of America, and John Heights, who's in Shanghai. Hopefully, he'll be able to stick it out this time. Um, yes, he is uh, winding down his time in China, and we can't wait for him to be back so we can have less of a Chinese firewall. Uh, today is one of my favorite kinds of days. It's not only we have a return guest, it's a day that our return guest is one of my oldest, dearest, and most inspirational friend. Nikki Brake Sila is a Philadelphia-based filmmaker. Her credits include names like HBO, Frontline PBS, and Sundance. She writes, directs, produces, and acts, and we're lucky to have her with us today as she is in the midst of a new major project that we will touch on later. Today, she's going to talk to us about her writing process. Nikki, welcome back. It's been a while. Yeah, well, just just go with it. Ignore the cutout and we'll, we'll hopefully figure it out. Okay, so you've been an artist since I met you. That's not how I met you. I met you happy hour, uh, circa 1999. Um, well, I've never been one who can create anything other than a really good ginger cake. Um, I have to say that something that's different about you being here this time is that I've learned that when you start creating things, you look at things a little differently. I don't think I appreciated what it took for you to put yourself out there in the world until I started doing this podcast. Being in the public eye, you just for our 12 listeners, has kind of changed how I think about what I say. I guess I just want to say that I appreciate your courage in being an artist now more than ever. Thanks, Bennett. You're welcome. <laughs> how do you come up with ideas? There have been things that I've been like toiling around in my head since forever. And I keep telling myself that one day I'm going to get to the point where I'm no longer writing these depressive, although I feel like really need to be heard stories. And I can talk about the stuff that I love talking about and have fun talking about, like demons and witches and unicorns and shit. So, but until then, yeah, I write on scraps of paper. I wake up in the middle of the night and do voice memos to myself. I have like snippets for monologues or dialogues and I've been writing for ages. I used to do poetry in like high school and then I took a break in college. So yeah, I'm a voracious reader. I can't remember when I didn't write. It's like breathing for me. Nikki, do you write every day? Like even if it's on a little post-it note or do you like carve out time in your day to purposefully sit down and write? It depends. Like I have dedicated days now where I'm out of the house, I'm away from work and I'm like, all right, I'm going to be in this room with four walls and I'm going to turn off my internet and I'm just going to write. And so that's usually every other Monday from like five until nine, I'll just sit and write. And some days I allow myself the freedom to not write. And just kind of sit there and like be in the moment and see like if there's anything that's speaking to me or just to recharge or I'll like use it to look up new grants and fellowships. So it's writing adjacent, as I like to call it, because otherwise it can be really overwhelming, at least for me to be like, ah, I have to write every single day because some days I don't ever want it to feel like it's a job or a chore. And I always want it to be something that I look forward to. It's my way to escape. So mm. I don't try to set any parameters on myself outside of the one day a week where I can. It's like <laughs> so you never just time. bail on something. Like you start mm -hmm. it and then you're like, mm, this isn't working. 
Oh, wow. Jim, you had a question? Yes. How do you tell the difference, Nikki, between a good idea and a bad idea? Oh, my God. All my ideas are freaking awesome. <laughs> I don't have any bad ideas. So you've never, like, had an idea and then said later <laughs> on, about? why did I want to do that? That didn't make sense. I, not to sound like that person, but I don't have any bad story ideas. Okay. <laughs> well, that's great. Awesome. <laughs> no, because I've usually been thinking about it for such a long time that by the time I get it to paper, it's pretty formed. Now, I'll have crap pages and... It's really hard for me not to self-edit while I'm writing, which is why sometimes I try to switch to handwriting, like in notebooks, because then it's a lot harder to delete, delete, delete. And I'm just like, all right, you know, the most important thing is just to get it out on the page and I'll just edit it later. So that's the thing that I'll just be like, and I'll go back and read. I don't even call it a first draft. I call it like my vomit draft, like just get everything out on the page. And then I'm like, oof, mm, that's a little contrived or that's a bit much or whatever but that's after like everyone has that where you just want you need to get it out and then you can go back and hone it and refine it later when you have these ideas and you write things down on post-it notes or you spend your mondays writing things do you have in your head you have this kind of idea and all of those practices of writing are going towards that goal or do you have multiple ideas multiple storylines in your head and you work a little bit on this one, a little bit on that one, or are you focused on one? It depends on what deadlines I have looming. Uh, I'm really good at writing under the gun, so to speak. So I took a playwriting class and it was a seven week lecture or like a seven week series. And I was like, oh, that's going to be the class that I use to write my next full length play. I'll have seven weeks to do it. We'll just use writing prompts and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Except I misread the instructions and it wasn't you write a play in seven weeks. It's you come with your play to workshop. So I had seven weeks to write a feature length play or six weeks to write a feature length play, which is anything above like 70 pages. And then every week, each person read through their full draft or whatever. And so I cranked it out in like three weeks just because... I had to because I didn't want to show up to class and everyone be ready to read my pages. And I was the last one and not have anything to show for it. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question. No, I think so. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I usually focus on one thing at a time, although, yeah, because of deadlines. So right now I'm working on finishing up my monologue because I start rehearsal on Tuesday with my actress. So that's, you know, pressing. <laughs> four installs and I took a break from writing on my full-length play because this is like it's like whichever one is more dire as far as the deadlines but I'm a fan of what I call artistic procrastination mm -hmm. which is reading other people's stuff like folks will send me emails and be like oh you know can you read my play and I'm like of course I can of course I can I would love to read your play because then I don't have to write on mine <laughs> I feel like it's still part of the the creative process and I always get inspired by other people's work and it tones down the voices in my head telling me that oh you know this is crap or you shouldn't be working on this right now you should be more focused on this yeah it's really guiding for that me. that would be so hard for me that would be I think I would steal people's ideas on subconsciously or consciously if I were reading other in your case. stuff while I was <laughs> <laughs> or consciously yeah 
not above it. <laughs> no, I was saying that most of the stuff that I'm reading is completely different from stuff that I would even write about. Okay. So it's easy for me to not be swayed or like influenced by whatever story it is they're talking about. But things that I feel like that would influence me subconsciously, I definitely don't read. Like there are several different conversations with the Merchant of Venice that I purposely have not read because I don't want to have any of their ideas or tools that they've used sneak into my own verbiage. So I'm going to wait until after I'm on like my fourth draft or whatever before I'm like, oh, wait, let me see. Before I feel like I can open myself up to see how someone else told the story. Because it's been told like a million times. So that I feel is safer. On a scale from monastic silence to the furor of the Starbucks in Times Square, which atmosphere do you prefer when you're trying to write? I like to write to music. I have a curated playlist depending on what I'm writing. I cannot write in a lot of noise. Even with my music on, uh, it just, it's too chaotic for me. I'm too easily distracted by squirrels. <laughs> so yeah, I prefer a library or a coffee shop that doesn't have their own music piping through it, especially if it's crap music. I hate that. And then I just throw my playlist on. And your playlist. Give us some highlights from your playlist, Nikki. Oh, well, for a Hemplo. <laughs> For my Dear Anne playlist, I have a lot of Max Ritter, his mashup between Dinah Washington, This Bitter Earth. I also have Mahalia Jackson. And let's see, what, what else do I have up here? I was like, I listen to it all That's the time. some classic stuff there. Mahalia Jackson. Yeah. Way back. It's like all the stuff that like gets me in the mood for this particular time. Dizzy Gillespie. Is on that one. Wow. Also, Johnny Swim. I don't know if I y'all know heard Johnny of them. Swim. It's this duo. Donnie hey, Hathaway. I've got to go see Johnny Swim. I love them. Go see them. I love them so much. I've never. One thing we can <gasps> yeah, tell is Peg is not paying more than $100 to go see Johnny Swim. We know that. Well, no, that's good because you don't have to pay more than $100 unless you want a signed autographed copy of a photo with them and you want to see them backstage because I've already looked into it. <laughs> Peg would pay $100 if Johnny Swim would come to her house. An intimate performance with Paul Simon. With Paul Simon. With with Paul Simon. I love them so much. (laughs) Peggy, you should go see them. Who is Johnny Swim? Is that a group of people? Is that a person? What is, I don't know. It's a husband and wife, Donna Summer's daughter. Hmm. And they do these incredible melodies. And I love them so much. Oh, good. I'm so excited because yeah. I've never heard of them and oh, we're them. going and it was $28 for the ticket. Yes. Just so Jim knows. And then with all the <laughs> fees and everything, it comes to 40, which is BS. Still a steal though. Still okay, a good. steal. Oh, so yeah, that's peg, my back peg, to Nikki. Peg. That is crazy. Those fees are stupid. Peg, peg. Uh, the fees are really stupid. Yeah. Nikki, you want to defend the fees that are charged on tickets to concerts, or should we move on to a different (laughs) source of discussion here? I hate the fees. Down with the fees. Okay, now we can move on. So you have an actress? I do. So if I were still living in Philly, would you have given me the part? (laughs) I would not. But not because I don't love you. 
Not uh, because I, I don't love Is it because you. of her lack of ability s- as an actress? Somebody's. That's not. I'm either. dying for somebody to give me a chance. All I need is a have chance. Have you Have you tried out? Have I you auditioned? Are you a serious? Would you really like to act? No, I want to be discovered. <laughs> like walking hey, down the street. What in you a don't show? understand is us putting you on the podcast. It amounts to your discovery. Uh, hi. You're putting no, yourself I've out got there. Some t- acting talent in here. <laughs> All right, so how'd you find this actress, this hack of an actress? So I went to a couple of readings. <laughs> I found this actress who's not you. Exactly. But I do love you. Um, Thank you. I went to a couple of readings. One, my old playwriting professor had Jackie Goldfinger for her play that's in development, Babel. And this woman blew me away. It was a reading. So you show up. Five hours before the reading starts, as the actresses and actors with the director, you work through it, and then you have the pages in front of you. And what she was able to do with that little amount of time really, really impressed me. And I was like, oh, she's pretty awesome. But I didn't do anything about it at that time. And then I went to another reading the next week um, with James Iam's new play, and she was there. Also, and I said, oh, and once again, I was still incredibly impressed with what she was able to do in a short amount of time and some words on the paper. So I went up afterwards and introduced myself and she looked really familiar. And so we play like the name game and she has a twin sister who's in the same sorority as I am. And I was like, well, maybe that's it, but we're still trying to figure it out. But anyway, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to write something and I would love to collaborate with you. And at the time, she was in equity, which means, you know, she can still do contract work as an independent contractor. And there's like, I don't have to go through the union, but she's heavily booked and blessed. So I emailed her in early May and was like, hey, I've got this monologue I'd love you to do for this festival. And she was like, great. I'm really interested. And I was like, yes, that's awesome. And then a couple of weeks later, she was like, I'm, I'm out of the country on production I get back on this date and yes, I'm totally in. So I went ahead and I've got everything signed off and et cetera, et cetera. And then I get another email a couple of weeks later and she's like, I'm really sorry, but now I'm equity and my heart dropped because equity is a whole bunch of stuff you got to jump through in order to get an actor on board, which is why a lot of people don't want to deal with equity or with stag after because you have to go through their union you have to do contracts so i got a little scared because that means that i have to go through the union but she was super sweet about it gave me all the information and the woman that i spoke to in the new york office was incredible and so now i have her wow so she's on she flies back today and we start rehearsals on tuesday so i'm very i'm very excited when you are I don't know what the right word is, but when you're evaluating, I guess is the best word I can think of, an actor, are you doing it sort of on an intuitive basis, how you react sort of viscerally? Are you doing it based on sort of technical, like what you're looking for, or some combination of the two? It's a combination of the two, definitely, but I do go a lot by my gut 
and how they make me feel in the moment. She made me forget that I was at a reading. I was completely absorbed in her character and she brought tears to my eyes, which granted I cry at the Microsoft like paperclip rock, paper, scissors commercial, but I've gotten hardened in my older age. So I was pretty impressed that she was able to elicit that type of emotional response from me being an audience member. And then also it's really easy because the characters that I write about all look like me. So she looked like me and I was like, done. That's a win, win, win all around. So how long do you have her under contract or whatever? You I have her it? for two weeks. Okay. Two weeks. It's a 15 minute monologue. So it's definitely, she's a professional. It's definitely not going to take her two weeks to get off book. And I have like four pages now and yeah, I'm going to cut it down, but. And how do you pay her? Do you have to like go through an agent or something? It's all through the union. Okay. So I had to get a paymaster who's the company that deals with FICA and pension and all that stuff. So you pay the paymaster, the paymaster sends the check to the union, the union sends me the contract Wow. And then the paymaster sends her the money. So it's like totally out of my hands. So all the taxes and everything are above board. And yeah. So this person that helped you find her or was a catalyst, whose name was Becky Goldfinger. Peg is still bitter about, you can tell. Is that a real name? Jackie Goldfinger. Jackie Goldfinger. Jackie Goldfinger. Jacqueline Goldfinger. Yes, she is a playwright. She's rising. She's hot, a hot potato wow. right now. Um, and I took two classes from her, and she's pretty awesome. I'm a big fan. She is also the mother of twins, and we are in the same age. So I definitely feel, and her kids are the same age as mine, at least my big one. So she knows off cuff how hard it is to carve out time. Yeah. And you find these like stolen moments because you want to make sure that you're not being too, too neglectful as a parent. And I also work a full-time job, so it's hard. And I feel like I don't have to express how hard it is because she knows she gets and she's it. doing it. So she's a really great role model for me to look for. Cause whenever I'm tired, I'm like, Oh, I just want to go to bed or I just want to have this glass of wine and then go to bed, I'll have a glass of wine. And while I'm drinking my glass of wine, I'll just write. Cool. And it's okay if it's a couple of sentences, because it's two more sentences than I would have had if I'd just gone to bed. So yeah, but look her up. Okay, I will. How do you approach it differently when you're writing a monologue versus writing so a So for me, um, the thing about a monologue is I want to, as an audience member, I want to know where I am in the story at all times which can be a little tricky if it's one character and I want to make sure that I have these peaks and valleys for any sort of character arc. So I built in, and this monologue is quote unquote easier for me because it's based off of what I went through. So in that sense, it's, I know the peaks and valleys that I went through that week. So that's easier, but I also give myself the leeway to not adhere to some sort of linear timeline and linear storytelling because the people in the audience, they don't care if what you said happened day three or if it happened day one, they just want to be caught up in the story. And I just want to make sure that there is 
a beginning, middle, and end, and that the end ties back into the beginning, and that the middle lives people with a bit of a gut punch. So for this one, it's easier for me because it's how it's what happened to me. But when I'm writing monologues for my plays, the rule is usually, you know, you should be talking about the past, present, and future in the same breath. When you have an idea, when you when you start with an idea, does it immediately clear to you whether this is an idea for a monologue or this is an idea for a play, or does that develop as you're working through the idea? Uh, I mean, when I say a play, I mean a multi-character play, not monologues can be plays as well. Yes, I always have a monologue in my multiple characters, just because otherwise it's just like a back and forth. Like, and you want to, that's the monologue is your chance to be able to really get to know the character and what they're thinking and what they're going through. But for this particular festival, I was really kind of despondent. I have applied to a lot of fellowships and funding. And, you know, since February, I think I've applied to 25 things. And I've gotten five no's. So there's still 20, you know, out there that I haven't heard from. And I'm like, oh, maybe that could be a yes. And I was talking to one of my girlfriends, Nikki, about it. And she's like, well, why don't you just write a monologue and just, you know, self-produce that? Because I'd been so bogged down by it has to be, you know, I have to write this feature or I have to write this short or, you know, I have the short or you know, and producing the stuff that I already had on paper. And so when she said, or you could just do a monologue, I was like, oh yeah, I could just do a monologue. And I have a space for it. And then I went to another forum and one at Jackie's house, she had a tea during theater week. And one of the people there started this festival called Solo Fest. And he was like, it's a chance for people to be able to self-produce and get their work out there. And the bar is so low, so you don't have to worry about, you know, the stakes or there's not so much pressure as buying into like the Fringe Festival, which has gotten super expensive. And it gives you that space to figure it out and find your voice. And basically you just have a bunch of your friends who come and hopefully you can sell enough tickets to cover the cost of the actors. <laughs> So that's what I did. I was like, Nikki, oh. when you when you have these um, projects in development, do you have a, a, a venue or a festival or a place that you envision submitting or do you just complete it? And then how does it get out there? I'll have these ideas and then I'll write. And as I'm writing, I'll start looking for what reading and development workshops can I apply to to make it stronger. And then I'll start applying to those. So I've applied to a lot of women theater weeks and residencies. And depending on what it is I'm applying for, we're dealing with if I'm applying with my short or if I'm applying with one of my full length plays. But normally I write it when I get halfway through and I'm like, okay, this is definitely going to, I'm definitely going to finish it. Then I start writing towards the deadline. I need a nice firm reminder. And it's just my personal deadline because no one's going to care if I don't apply to such and such residency. They, they're not going to know. But I have, I do know that in applying for stuff for my feature film, that people who read it, 
they do get to know you because then they'll reach out and say, oh, how mm. you should apply for this or you should apply for this. So even if I'm not as confident about what I've written, because it'll only be the fourth draft, I know that whoever's reading it sees enough in it to ask me to apply for something else that they're responsible for. So that's definitely promising. But I definitely don't write in the hopes that someone's going to do anything with it. Because then I would have stopped writing a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. Do all the applications that you have to submit um, cost something? Or does it cost after you've been accepted? No. So that's the thing that I've definitely learned in my years since grad school like when I first got out I applied to all the film festivals and all this and that and it was money 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 and now I only apply to things that are free just because I'm like no you're not no if you really want to read my work that I've toiled over for years then you can read it at no Mm -hmm. cost to me because I'm a struggling artist and I'm not going to give you like any more of my hard-earned money And I'm not saying that to be light, and I know how important it is for there to be readers who are interested in it, but it really adds up if you're only applying to things that cost money, especially when you apply to things that cost money and they're not giving you any sort of Mm -hmm. critique on the backside of it. So it's just like burning it as far as I'm concerned, because they'll say due to the number of submissions, we are unable to give you any feedback. So then I would say, okay, well, if I really want to apply to, so the Nichols Fellowship for the Oscars for their written screenplay full length, there's a $50 application fee, but you get a response to your piece by two readers, two separate readers. So that's really valuable information that I used for my first draft of my screenplay. Blue Cat is another one that they give you feedback. So you have to pay for it, but you're, I'm getting something out of it so that it doesn't feel so like money going into a black hole. But all my play stuff now, if it's more than 20 bucks and those are rare that they're, that they do ask for $20 overhead fees. I don't I'm like, Nope. If you want to read my work, then you will want to read it for free. I can't imagine how much time this all takes for you to find all this and, can I ask some John Heinz questions? He said he's obviously still having his technical problems, but he sent me some questions to ask Nikki. First is, well, these are not in the order John asked them, but this is the order I'm going to ask him. Who's your favorite writer? At Ruthie Roy, The God of Small Things. That's a book that I have read like 20 times. And I keep coming back to it. I enjoyed that book. She just, if you read it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. The way she uses few words to illustrate pain. Just, uh, I love her. I love her so hard. So she's my first one. And then my second one is Octavia Butler. Those are like my two authors that I have read. What is Octavia Butler written? Because I bet. Name is unclear to me, at least. Uh, she's science fiction. Oh, okay. I speculative fiction. I do not read a lot of science fiction myself. She's pretty kick 
what percentage of the time you spend writing would you s describe as work, and what percentage of it would you describe as play? These are John Ein's questions. I consider the first draft play and everything after the first draft work because rewrites are brutal. Rewrites are always brutal because you're just like, ah. I remember reading very successful playwright Neil Simon's two memoirs, and he talked about essentially the rewriting is everything. The rewriting is the whole thing. Yeah. And in fact, I think one of yeah. his memoirs was was called Rewrites. Was That's what it was called. He said that's the whole job is rewriting. You keep rewriting. You rewrite yeah. again and you rewrite again. So you, I take it you would essentially agree with that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I got feedback on Monday from my latest play, and I'm like, oh, this is such good feedback. Oh. <laughs> but that means more rewriting. I got to <laughs> rewrite it. Oh. <laughs> it's like, tag on. I wonder if Shakespeare had the same issue. John, question. How do you know when to include your biases, your thoughts, and when to intentionally leave yourself behind? I think that's impossible. To leave yourself behind? At least for me. Okay. It's impossible for me to leave myself behind. Every character that I write, I write based on my life experiences and my inherent biases. 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 So uh, there's, you know, as a black woman, I can't write someone without that lens which is why all the writing that I do is for a very particular audience I'm not not myself when I'm writing and I don't I always see myself and all of my characters that I'm what? writing as far as like someone that's something that's been acted upon me or something that I've done everyone is definitely a facet of myself I was going to say this is me not John asking this follow-up question just to be clear now, I understand what you're saying about the author. You, the author, are all of the characters in some part represent you. Do you find it difficult to write male characters because of that, or do you not? No, I don't find it difficult to write okay. male characters at all. <laughs> all right. Because, I mean, you know, yeah, it's I have a lot of male interaction. <laughs> Be it at work, but be it's it at just my that the home, male characters you write um, carry your perspective in in those characters. I guess uh, not necessarily my perspective, but their actions would be something that I can see have happened. Your experience, they carry your experience to like yes, or friends of mine's experience, and yeah, like one of my characters mansplains. Every day, someone mansplains to That's me. That's what my it's job really is on annoying. the podcast. To <laughs> it is not. It's like the mansplaining. Yep. One last John question. Richard Wright said he would read a few pages of an author, learn their style, and never finish the book. Is this useful for you and your approach to writing? No. Not at all. And I feel that that's really... Insulting to I think. I wonder if that Richard Wright really said that and did that. I find that hard to believe, but maybe he did. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to pull up some Google, but I don't want to mess up the Zencaster. Yeah, I find the beauty in all of the books that I read 
even if I hate it, and there have been some books that I've started that I've absolutely abhorred, but I got through the last page so I could find like that one kernel and be like, oh, okay, well, this was written for this piece. Like, this is what I took away for it. Or the only thing I could take away was, oh, well, if that dribble was published, I should just keep busting my behind and eventually I'll get there, which, you know, isn't necessarily true, but that's what, that's the fire in my belly. <laughs> you would agree with me because me I always, no matter how bad a book is, once I start reading it, I always finish it. I got to finish it. And I will hate finish it. And Sometimes hate finishing a book is actually, problem. there's a certain pleasure in hate finishing a book. Right? I kind of do that. It can be very satisfying. I mean, I'm not going to name any books, but Peggy and Shelley definitely know the one that I'm talking about. You do. <laughs> yeah. You... From our book club. Wait oh, a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. What is this book club? Oh, Tell I me about this book, book club. Uh, it's, we had an idea. We used to have a book club. Yeah, it was defunct. called the Interstate Book Club. Is that what it was called? The Future X Interstate Book so Club. So we all read. So. Is this like a euphemism for yes. some drug ring yep. or something? Yes. And we all read club. the book, and then we came to, uh, we went to Philly to discuss it. So mm -hmm. people from Chicago, Indiana. Sounds like a great idea. Yes. Michigan, and we all converged at Nikki's house and discussed the book. And then we were going to. Yep. birthday for party. For Genibus Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Give me a book that, it doesn't have to be the one that Nikki hated, but what's an example of a book that you guys read? Well, we only did it once. We did it oh, once. We only did it once. <laughs> so that was the book really? Nikki hated. <laughs> yeah. And it was such a bad book that you never did yeah. the book club again. Well, schedules and true. <gasps> we did a lot of, like, listing afterwards. Yeah. And schedules, and then, you know, like, I got knocked up. In fact, I have a, a whole thing on my gmail because you know i don't like to have too many emails in my inbox so i have all these folders and one of them is called interstate book club mm. where i've saved our email communication we have lots of choices so that you yeah. can blackmail nikki when she's a famous person yes uh, we were gonna do it again and we might still do it again <laughs> there's we got lots of time yeah yeah when life calms and Peg down just a finished bit. another book recently is that the first book You've read since Book Club, the one you talked about last time we recorded, Peg? No, it's not the first one. <laughs> but thanks for your uh, insult onto my reading abilities. Okay, your Peg is quite the voracious No, no, no. Reader. Peg's recommendation. Peg, I mean, Nikki, did someone tell you you're supposed to give a recommendation at the, at the end of this podcast, by the way? Oh, no, but I like it. It can be a recommendation for okay. anything. So Peg's recommendation last time was to finish reading a book. That was literally her recommendation last okay. time. It was? <laughs> no, yeah. it was to read. Oh, yeah, because it, it's been a while since I finished one. Oh, yeah, it was to turn off the TV and read. So you're saying to it read. was even literally more basic than that. Yes, exactly. Just to read. I love it. Yeah, because I've been so, like, Scrabble addicted that I don't read anymore. And see, and as you notice, my Scrabble play has fallen off yes. because I've been so writing. Which is great. Don't every now and then I'm like, crap, I gotta I that's gotta get back on the That's on why my I game. never nudge you because you're doing the things that are more important. <laughs> I appreciate you. Ansmani will just keep nudging you me. You probably have better over. things to do, but our last episode was guilty pleasures and we learned, although some of us knew already, that one of Peg's greatest guilty pleasure is how much time she spends each week playing Scrabble. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> and one of John's was to write every day, which fed into nicely how you started this podcast. Yeah. John's guilty pleasures were all things like, I spend too much time reading the New York Times. and His recommendation was to write, yeah. You know, I spend too much time being a brilliant intellectual. Mm. That's what he <laughs> was. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's true. All right. So, Nikki, let's see. Is there anything else you want to talk to us about? Like, how do people, can, can people reach you? Do you have a website or anything? My website is, I mean, I do have a website, but it's kind okay. of, <laughs> That's Peg's feeling yeah. toward this podcast, by the way. I'm on a podcast, but I don't really like it, and I don't listen to it and all that other stuff. So, Yeah, I'm like, oh, I haven't had a chance to redesign it, and it hasn't been updated in ages, and I can't go down that rabbit hole of redesigning it, and then because I'll just... Yeah, it's not a priority. Yeah. So well, I do have a website. I don't want to give it out, although it's very easy to figure out what it is because it's the after the at mm -hmm. from a work email, the info at space. But yeah, I can be reached via email. Okay. Info, uh, there's a big old clue at ginifilms.com. Info at geniefilms.com. People should put their name or my name in the subject because I have a brutal spam filter. Because as you guys may not know, but Peggy Bennett does know, it's very hard for me to get rid of all the notifications on my phone. It's anti-Virgo of me. And I oh. currently have 11,774 oh oh unread messages that I like to send to Bennett mm, just yeah, to give her I'm agita. twitching right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I'm, I see it. Right? I'm going to be physically ill just thinking about it. Before we wrap up and go to recommendations... Nikki, tell us, tell our vast listening audience <laughs> where and when they can see the performance of your monologue. So June 20th and June 22nd, my monologue, AMA, Against Medical Advice, will be performed in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at 1212 South 47th Street. It's the Children's Community School. Seating is limited, so get your ticket early to beat the rush and so you don't have to stand up. But if you do have to stand up, you're only going to be standing for 15 minutes, so, you know, you can do it. And, yeah, it's part of the Solo Festival. That website I do have, and it's in all of my emails that go out, but now I don't have any okay. of those open. We can put a link. When we Podcast. post the episode, Our, this episode posts on June 20th. So people who hear this will rush right out and go to the 47th Street and the children's, there you go. children's school. Is that what it is? Community school. And go see it. Children's community school. Jim, are you going to go? Take the train. What does a ticket cost to one of these performances? Uh, it's pay what you decide. Suggested is $10. Shall we do recommendations? Does anybody have one? I can give you John's. Okay, let's hear it. John has been watching and enjoying The Good Place <gasps> on Netflix, oh, the NBC show. I've heard show it's funny. Starring Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. It's so good. Mm. It's so good. <laughs> mm. I'll dissent from that 
recommendation okay. and well, endorsement by Nikki. But who's next? I'll go next. I recommend having a dinner party because it's super fun. Yay! Well, that's one step up from you recommending eating food, which would have been more in keeping with We had typical. one last night. I would say Peggy should recommend and it swallowing. And makes you clean your house. Which would be. Wow. 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 Swallowing. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's see, you guys dirty, took it dirty. Nikki. I went with the whole eating food. Dirty yeah. birdies. I have to say the swallowing, <laughs> that's immediately where I went in my head when you said that. I have to, I'm just being honest here. That's immediately where I went. All right, Shelly. I recommend the book Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End. It's a nonfiction book that was written by a surgeon. I'm going to butcher this name, so I apologize. Atul, A-T-U-L, Gawande, G-A-W-A-N-D-E. He's a really good writer and he He's writing about end-of-life care, hospice care, and some of his personal reflections on his family history and personal stories. And it talks about some of the problems with our medical system as well as caring for our aging parents and population. Uh, he's written a few other books, but this is the one that I'm about, I don't know, three-quarters of the way through that was recommended by a work colleague, and it's, it's really good. Cool. Okay. Nikki? Yes, I recommend the N.K. Jemison Broken Earth Trilogy. If you're into sci-fi and fantasy, that's also pretty pertinent and parallel to these current days and times. She's brilliant, and she's the only author to have won the Hugo Nebula Award for every book in her trilogy. So the first, second, and third book of the Broken Earth series all won the Hugo Nebula Award. They're pretty freaking And that's like amazing. the highest sort of sci-fi oh, yeah. writing award, right? Yeah. Isn't that the yeah. sort of like the Edgar Award for mystery stories? Is that And the Booker Prize. Got for, right. Yeah. But I love them. I've, I'm rereading the first book. There's a... This is, I'm getting off the point here, but isn't there some, there's a new Netflix series that based on Neil Gaiman stuff with David Tennant and uh, Peggy's, Peggy's love Tony and Michael Sheen, right? Isn't there? Am yes, I this it's up? called The Good Omen. The Good Omen, right. It's on Netflix. They play agents of the devil or something, right? Michael Sheen and David Tennant play like agents of the devil or something. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I know that David Tennant is my one weakness. It's in my queue. Is in the Paul Simon category as far as uh, Peggy Bennett is. Oh, <laughs> she would pay money for David Tennant to come to her house for sure. Peggy Bennett, did you see the interview I sent you? No, I haven't looked at it yet. Is it him with David Tennant? <gasps> I'm, oh, I can't. Believe it's you still here at. in my inbox with my two emails. Okay. Oh, oh no. Look at it. Okay, I will. I love David Tennant. All right, I have three things three things to recommend. Oh, do uh, Two of them are articles. Three. Well, listen, I'm playing Shelly right now. Uh, two of them are articles in, from yesterday's New York Times, which were both on subjects very near and dear to the heart of my good friend John Heinz. One is by Jesse Green, one of the Times Two theater critics, in which he describes the vibrant theater scene in the city of Chicago focusing in particular on two plays, a production based on Saul Bellow's novel, The Adventures of Augie March, 
and a production of an old Somerset Mon play, but he also talks in general just about what a vibrant scene Chicago theater is. And the other is an article by Patricia Cohen about how difficult it is for workers over 50 to get hired. And again, both of those subjects near and dear to John <laughs> Heinz's heart. I also want to recommend, I am actually not in Silver Spring, as Ms. Bennett said. I'm actually in Los Angeles this morning recording oh. this. And it also happens to be Pride Weekend this weekend in Los Angeles. And apropos of that, I just finished reading a book yesterday by a guy named Tim Ryan called when Brook I'm sorry Hugh Ryan called when Brooklyn was queer which is a history uh of Brooklyn since the mid 19th century through uh Stonewall and the it, and it it is what it says it is and it's an interesting book a lot of fascinating tidbits packed into it including the fact that for a brief period during the early 1940s, there was a house in Brooklyn where at the same time lived the poet W.H. Auden, the classical composer Benjamin Britten, the author Carson McCullers, and the famous burlesque artist Gypsy Rose Lee were all living in the same house together at the same time for a brief period during the 1940s in Brooklyn. That is crazy. Anyway, that's my recommendation. Before we do the closeout, I want to say that following up on what we said on our last podcast, we are going to do a podcast of different people who want to submit a karaoke uh, singing a song. Just record it on your phone or record it on your computer. Make a file. Send it to us at twoguysinsearch at gmail.com. We will... Put them all. T- it doesn't have to be a whole song, right? Well, I mean, you know, we're Let's, not going to be like religious tidbits are fine. Well, yeah, a little good, like uh, snippets, at least a couple of minutes, you know, like 10 seconds. Probably we don't we'd like to hear We Why not do a whole song if you're well, going to do it? Peg. Okay. Anyway, so we want people who've been on our podcast and people who listen to our podcast to send us a carry them singing along to a song. We'd love to hear it. We'll play it. And we promise we'll be kind to you. Nikki, are you going to karaoke a song for us? I am very vain, and I used to have a pretty good voice, but then the RA trashed that, so I'm going to say no. Oh, I think you probably have a great voice, Nikki. I think you probably... She did. She had a great voice. She probably still does. That's what I think. I think I could see you doing a very nice boozy billy holiday number or something that would i love great, gloomy but... sunday that's also on my playlist okay well just do us your version of gloomy sunday we'll play it on the podcast all right shelly take us home okay folks well that's all the time we have for this fortnight's podcast so to close out first and foremost we always want to do is to thank you for spending a few minutes of your day listening to us we are also crazy thankful for Nikki Sela, who joined us today as our special guest. Very enlightening and interesting to hear all the great work and the creative process you have, Nikki. We have two big thank yous. One, Mary Heinz for production and Ted Enling for the music. If you like the podcast and have a few seconds to rate us in iTunes, that helps us enormously. 
If you could write us a review, that helps even more. We also love comments and questions. You can tweet at us at Two Guys in Search. Send us messages in Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Tumblr, or Gmail at Two Guys in Search at gmail.com. As of today, you can join our Telegram channel um, where we're always hanging out live and in real time. I'm not really sure if that's true, but I said it anyway. You can tell Siri, <laughs> you can tell Siri, Alexa, and Google Assistant to play us on your podcast and or any of your smart devices and ask it to subscribe to us. As we've said before, we really like voice memos, so you can record your voice any way you like and send it to us. We appreciate all the corrections, complaints, comments, and ideas. And remember to record your favorite song for us. It's your 30 seconds of fame or shame, and you can do it anonymously or not, and it'll be kind of fun. (laughs) Be sure to join us again in two weeks for more tantalizing conversations. Have a good fortnight.